0: i never seen somebody blow, blow their nose like this. <laughs> well, humans are not, we're not wired to wait. I mean, there's nothing we hate more than waiting. And so our son Ian, as we're waiting for the sabbatical, um, on Thursday, he's been saying over and over, he can hardly wait for the trip to Los Angeles, and he just kept on saying on Thursday, um, in, his, in his croaky little voice, because he was sick, he said, Daddy, I can't wait. Daddy? I can't wait, Daddy. Daddy, I can't wait. And he did that over and over and over. And um, as much as I was, like, tempted to be annoyed, and I think I was annoyed at the beginning, I, I, I think the picture of this 4-year-old really showed me something, that in the heart of this 4-year-old boy, we want to get somewhere. And he just cannot hardly just take it in his boat. Bu- he just wants to go. And he thought we were going, like, like literally like an hour. And so we're all so wired to get somewhere. We're all wired to get to the next thing, uh, that next podcast, that next promotion, that next holiday season, that next sabbatical, the next kids, the next uh, retirement, that uh, next home in the country that you've been longing for. And our life just seems like it's in just a huge waiting room. We just feel stuck as I was talking to somebody, like, it's the twilight zone. It's like, we can't go either way. We're just kind of trapped in whatever it is. And no one goes into the waiting room and, and says that this is the best thing ever, do we? Everyone wants to get out of the waiting room. No one says to the doctor, sorry, doctor, I really just want to stay here and watch HDTV and more of those fixer-upper uh, shows. Nobody says that. The point is... In the wait, most people think there's no redemption. The point is you need to get ahead and go in. And there's no surgeries in the waiting room. And the waiting room is just another place to be transferred to do some more waiting and then to ultimately wait again for the nurse to take your vitals and then do some more waiting and then more and more waiting. And it is just agony. I remember uh, there was a time back in California um, I don't know why, but we put a really heavy uh, Chinese pancake griddle. Um, The the leaves probably know what I'm talking about. It's just like these big pancake griddle. And I'll tell you, this is not just an ordinary pancake griddle. This thing was made out of iron. (laughs) This thing was just like bulletproof. And uh, for whatever reason, I was trying to pull something out from the top of the fridge. And when I pulled out the top of the fridge, out came that griddle smack onto my big toe and I just collapsed into pain. It was just horrid. And I was just, I couldn't even, it was so bad I couldn't even talk. Um, and there's blood, you know, just kind of you know, in the toenail. And it was just like, it was there and it, was, it, was, it wasn't going anywhere. And I just remember, I, I, it was all I could do for Christine to get me in the car, go to the urgent care. And it was just agony waiting in that waiting room. So for so many of us, we want to get out of this waiting room, and the struggle is just too much. If only I could be in a better financial situation than now. If only I could get to the end of the weekend. If only I could get past this meeting. If only I can just be done with work and live a retired work, uh, life. If only my kids can get potty trained. Can I hear amen? And I have to spend all day in the bathroom. <laughs> get the place Yes, the place that you want to get out of is the place that God wants you The Lord wants you to know that in that waiting room, that's where you find him. He doesn't want you to just be in the, get out of the waiting room. There's retraining in the waiting. My sermon in the sentence, thank you, Randy, for taking that and uh, Jake for continuing that. I'm going to continue that tradition. I realized I I have to do it too. (laughs) Um, But my sermon in the sentence, if you're taking notes, the waiting room between repentance and redemption trains us to wait upon the Lord and hope in his word. So let's put our eyes in on Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What we see here, if you look at the whole um, Uh, Just the whole trajectory of the Psalms up till now. From Psalm, it's broken up into five books. And within this subset of the Psalms, this is what we call the song of ascents. And literally, that's what it is. From Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, um, worshipers who would actually go and travel to the festivals would literally sing these Psalms on their way up to Jerusalem, which was a mountainous area. And as they would go along up that hill, they would be singing along with their hearts, and they would go, and their hearts would go up with them. And their hearts would just literally ascend with them as they moved closer to the place where they would celebrate all their um, worship and their festivals and sacrifices. And um, and so there was just this whole um, this whole preparation. Can you imagine if y'all just decided to do a ruck? or something like that, and you said, okay, we're going to go and walk. Before we go to worship, there'll be an hour and a half, uh, you know, ruck, and we're going to just put some heavy stuff on us, and we're just going to go up the hill, and that's, you know, and then we're going to eventually go to worship. Well, that's actually what was going on here. They were literally ascending the house of the Lord. But what we see here is that there, this psalmist is not seeing um, A tune of joy, but a tune of lament. He was in a a waiting room and he was feeling terrible and he wanted to get out of it. Look at the text. It says, the psalmist cries, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. And I don't know if you've ever sat with somebody they were at literally their wits end. They were crying out to the very depths of their heart because the pain was so bad that they could not even speak. All they could do was just cry. And I got to sit with somebody t- this week, two people this week, but one person who talked about how much he loved his wife. For 42 years, he served her. And just to see her die and the suffering that she went to made him question of the fact that there ever could be a God who would allow such a thing. I don't know if you've ever been sitting with people like that. And honestly, I was just taken aback. I was freshly reminded of the time in which I was put to the depths. And I think I, it always goes back to suffering, um, like when we dealt with the miscarriage and all those kind of things, but also I think in the context here, um, this is really not talking about suffering. Some people say that this is the context of suffering, but this is not the point here in this psalm. The context is not suffering, but sin. The Psalmist is talking about a time in which he fell under a radical, deep conviction of his own sin, that he understood and embraced the fully the thought of the fact that his sins merited the righteous and the full anger and wrath of God. And he was just so. Torn apart by his sin. He felt like he was in dangerous and deep waters. He felt like, literally, the words here are he was drowning um, in a storm. And think about this for a moment. Think about, let's not gloss over this passage, but think about what he is doing. The psalmist is just feeling wretched because of his sin. He is just feeling so overwhelmed, so undone, so unworthy. Think about every sin you have ever committed to this day. Think about every single time you've offended a holy and awesome God. Think about every single time you've sinned against your Lord, the one who has bought you and died for you and rose again for you. Think about every single time you have grieved him. Every time you have held out in a lie, or every time you've been angry at your spouse, well, that every single one of those sins is not just a sin against people, it's a sin against a holy God. And one of my friends actually said this. He said that we need to put our sin to death. And if we ever tolerated any sin in our hearts, well, we are basically saying you know what, then we are saying amen to Jesus being crucified because he was nailed on the cross for every sin that you've committed. And I don't think we take Psalm 130 to heart because we don't take, I don't take my, my sin seriously. When was the last time you cried out the depths of your heart to God and just fall on your knees and plead for the mercy and forgiveness that God gives us. I think we just we don't know how to plead because we are um, we are under the reality of the new testament, under his saving grace. We know the story, we know uh, the fact that Jesus died and rose again and that just becomes just rote. It glances off our head like the morning newspaper. Or the morning news. We don't have newspapers anymore. Um, listen to what James Boyce wrote. He said, quote, "Our problem today, especially in appreciating a psalm like this, is that most of us do not have much awareness of sin. We live most of our lives with very little awareness of God, and where God has been abolished, an awareness of sin is inevitably abolished also. We need to recover along with a profound sense of the Lord's mercy, but also a sense of our sin. We need to remember what the psalmist models for us in this passage, that he was completely insufficient to save himself. He could not come before a holy God without weeping and repenting over our sins. And we gotta come out of our fantasy world that God is lackadaisical about our sin. Isaiah thirty three twenty two says, Yahweh, God is our judge. Yahweh is our lawgiver. Yahweh is our king. He will save us i I, I, I think I, we just got to kind of um, just kind of build this out a little bit. Andrew Peterson he writes that there are five main players when it comes to the judgments of god there's Five, th- five ways that justice plays out. First, we have politicians who write the law. Then we have p- policemen who deter people, often by their presence alone, and sees that criminals are captured. We have juries who weigh the evidence, who uh, deal with all the credibility of the testimonies and comes to a verdict. And then we have a judge who interprets the law and passes a sentence. And then there's a prison system who implements the results of the judge's sentence. But here's where God, Yahweh, he does all five. He's the legislator. He's the policeman. He's the jury. He's the judge. And he's the executioner. And he has wrote his law just by his very holiness. He enforces the law. He was the righteous jury who has come to a verdict over our sin. He's the judge. And one day he will judge the living and the dead And one day he will give up the righteous, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who knew that they could do nothing to save themselves, and have trusted in Jesus Christ, and give them to heaven and to with him, to be with him forever. And he will give those who are not um, in Christ to the lake of fire, which is the second death. But that's where the love of God is in that God himself, this is his demands, this is his law, this is his jury, this is his verdict. He is the policeman, he is the executioner. But he has taken in love and he has taken all of our sin, all of the justice that we owed by the law and he's taken our, um, he's taken our sin and he's made it into reconciliation and he's reconciled us back to him. And He satisfied the divine justice that we owe to God because of our sin. And he redeemed us from the unbearable wrath against our sin. And then he rose again, showing he had victory over death and sin and Satan. And that he is welcoming all, those who are vile and poor, just as like we sang today, those who recognize their sin, to come into his love, into his joy. But that bad news only becomes uh, good uh, good news when we do see that God's love was even in um, in God's law and His judgment, and yet God's love in love, He satisfied His own demands in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ took our place, and He died for our sins in a radical exchange. We gave Him our sin. And he gave us his perfect righteousness so that we can stand holy and redeemed and loved and accepted and known by a holy God for those who put their faith and trust in the risen Lord forever. Jesus is not interested in an eternal fire insurance policy. He wants your heart. He wants everything of you. And he wants you to surrender all of your life and God is saying to us, every single time we sin, every single time we grieve the Holy Spirit. Just in our, in our vision series, we were talking about how God, the Holy Spirit, he's not just a force. He's not just a, um, a being or, or just a being that's kind of lofty and just kind of a force like in Star Wars. He is a person and every single time that we sin against him, we grieve the very heart of God because we miss out on what God wants for us. I remember when I was giving some fatherly discipline to one of my kids, and nothing was coming through. I was giving them just theological, um, just great explanations of sin, how it separates us from God and causes death and requires forgiveness, and it all fell on deaf ears. But the thing that point that really made that uh, helped that child to listen was that I said, "You know, your sin really hurts. It hurts mommy and daddy. It really causes daddy to be sad." I know this is not what you did, is not what God wanted for you. And while you did sin, Daddy and Mommy forgive you. But you have to know that your sin really did grieve my heart. And I remember that just had a profound effect on my child. For the first time I felt like their sin really registered that they had hurt the Lord. And oh, there's good news too. See how quickly it turns in verse 4 but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Isn't that strange? You know, I expect that with forgiveness that, you may, that God may be loved or God may be enjoyed, uh, God may be worshipped, God may be thanked, which is all true. God wants to be enjoyed. God wants to be loved. And man, we just want to enjoy our God. But isn't it strange that God says with forgiveness, forgiveness that God may be feared? And I think that's just really helping us to keep things in perspective of just really making sure that when you sin and you respond in love and forgiveness and you respond in faith and worship and surrender, then God will help you to respond in a way um, that really shows your heart of love, your heart of abandon, and you will respond in humility Grace and and brokenness. But with that brokenness comes joy. And ultimately, God's forgiveness is open and wide for everyone. doesn't have to, you don't have to be locked up in jail. You don't have to be stuck in sin for a long time. You can be, you know, uh, drowning in the just the throes of pornography. You can be struggling in your marriage. You can be struggling with financial decisions, but God, his heart, ultimately is merciful. Moses asked to know God's heart, and so encouraging that God, that he defined, or God defined his heart this way. Exodus 34, six through seven. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And what we see here is just generally that God um, was speaking to this because he was saying that sin does have consequences and um, they will visit the iniquity. There will be consequences of your sin, and that will rebound and affect and impact to the, your children and then your children's children and then your children's children children. But God, at the very core, God is steadfast. That's who he is. He is a God who is merciful and gracious. And if you're sitting here today and you're feeling like your sin, and you're feeling this weight of sin, know that with the weight of sin, there's also the glory of his love for you, the glory of his mercy, that there, as he has preached forgiveness and he gives and delivers forgiveness to thousands and to the thousandth generation. And that's us. Isn't that great news? That is a joy. And it's good news that God shows steadfast love to those who respond, who trust in him. And the words, but with you there, is forgiveness implies that the psalmist is coming with a genuine heart of repentance and grief over their sin and who cry out for him and God loves to give forgiveness. Saying don't presume against the Lord's grace. We know Romans and Paul talks a little bit about that. How can we sin so that, should, should we sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. But let's respond in brokenness and in the wait, in the waiting room. And that starts with repentance because repentance leads us to joy and finding the joy of forgiveness to God. So that was our first point. Our first point was this, that our deepest cries is in the waiting room. And our second point today is that our deepest fight is in the waiting room. The psalmist has repented of his sins. He's responded to God in fear and worship. It's not the end of the story. He doesn't give up in the waiting room But he fights with renewed hope. Look at the text in verse 5. He says, I wait for the Lord. And then he shifts to saying, my soul waits, which shows that he trusted in God with the deepest affections for God. The psalmist is not taking a let go, let God approach. He, he He is actively pursuing, actively fighting to pursue God, even in the midst of the guilt over sin, He is pursuing the forgiveness, the joy, the presence of the Lord. And he's saying, I'm going to wait upon you. My soul, everything about me is going to wait upon the Lord. And it's active fights. The weapons of the warfare are not of flesh and blood, but it is word, I hope. And in verse 6, he says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Um, When I was driving uh, to my spiritual retreat this past weekend, I, uh, you know, the point is, waiting room, you just want to get to the place, and it was raining, it was just terrible weather, it was cold, Um, and uh, I got behind a a truck with a flammable combustion sign, and um, instead of just trying to pass them up, I decided I was going to just play it safe and just go slow. And I just realized I got to make sure I don't look at my phone. I don't make any sudden stops because if I hit that truck, that would be disastrous. And so eventually I passed the truck. And then <clears throat> long, lo, be, lo behold, another flammable gas truck gets in my way. And y'all know, right? When that happens, you're just like, okay, God, you're, trying, you're, you're either trying to slow me down or, get me frust- or the enemy's trying to get me frustrated or whatever it is. And so um, I was like, okay, I'm going to slow down and just pay careful attention. And then the next thing you know, I pass that truck, <laughs> get stuck again. Like three flammable combustion trucks in a row. And so I was like, I think the Lord, I don't know. I, just, I was like, I just got to slow down. I got to make sure I don't rush. And, um, and so um, I just had this sense to slow down. And that's what was at the retreat. At my retreat, the Lord was just saying, son, just slow down. <laughs> um, in many things, just to, not just driving. But on the way back, um, it just, just stuck with me. And I was just seeing cars go by like 90 miles an hour. I was like, okay, I'm just going to slow down, slow down, slow down. And this guy just takes off, right, and just cuts me off. And I'm just like, man, slow down, slow down. Remember the flammable combustion truck? And then uh, before you knew it, I saw this young buck, this young like, elk or deer. Just like literally, dart right out like in front of me, like where Robert was, and I was going like 80 miles an hour. And if I did not have a Nissan Altima uh, and Passenger Steering Driving Assist, it slowed me down. I would have just—I I probably would have hit it, split second lower, uh, split second faster. Um, and <laughs> you bet, I was—I was—I my heart skipped a beat. And you could bet I was really, really engaged on the road after that. Um, and that's why I think the psalmist compares himself to like watchmen in the morning, just like the watchers of the night who will stand guard and take watch in four sections of the night every three hours, 9 p.m. and 12 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 6 p.m. Uh, they were at their post, and his gaze is fixated on the sign of enemies, any enemies trying to breach the city wall. And the watchmen knew that if they did they saw something, but they did not report it and warn people. They were accountable for their, very lo- uh, for their very life, even punishable by death. And that's why they would continue to keep alert. And that's kind of the picture that we see. He's saying that we got to keep our guard up. we got to be always looking at the flammable combustion truck in front of us. And making sure that we are singularly focused on the word of God. Because every watch of the hour, these watchmen, every single um, time and every single part of the section, until the first glimpse of the morning, they're saying, wait, the morning will come. Wait, the morning will come. And More than watchmen for the morning, so we need to be as believers who are in spiritual warfare, even right now. We need to say, God... Help us to be more than watchmen for the morning. Wait upon the Lord; my soul waits more than watchmen for the morning. That's why his hope, our hope, is grounded in God's word to forgive and restore and heal. Now, up to this point, <clears throat> um, the psalmist, his cries and repent is has been about himself. It's been repentance and hoping in God has been centered around himself. But now we actually see, it kind of goes around full circle. Now we see the psalmist not just mentioning his own plight, but now we see him ascending, right, from the very abyss of his, of his lament, being wrecked by his sin, to waiting upon the Lord and just rising and rising up again, all the way to verses 7 through 8. And this is where our deepest hope is in the waiting room. Let's read. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so this word here, um, hope in the Lord, it's a command, it's an imperative. It is a a point in which he goes from the deepest abyss to the highest mountain, and he's Commanding all of Israel to say, hope in the Lord. And, and what we see that the Lord's mercy and the forgiveness was so great that it wasn't just limited to just this psalmist as an individual, but just as we sang today in our worship songs that we serve the same God, we see the same God's forgiveness does not change. And this forgiveness is extended out, not just just to him, not just to a single worshiper, it's extended out to Israel. And it was just as plentiful in redemption and now as it was then. And now he cites a promise that was never fully realized this time he never got to see. But he says this in verse 8, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Isn't it amazing That the psalmist's hope was that powerful. That he wasn't even able to see the very end point and the unfolding progression of God's story of redeeming the world and lost sinners through his own son. But he was able to say hope in the Lord because his hope was in the steadfast faithfulness of God. He didn't know how it took place he didn't know what that was going to come about but he said Israel you're in a waiting room but as you wait upon the Lord he will redeem you from all your iniquities what that means is this is that the psalmist if the psalmist waited in hope for something he never saw and if he prayed and even asked and said hope in God Israel because even Israel that all of their sins will be forgiven I mean even that just rebukes me and just convicts me of how much am I even praying for Israel am I I'm am I praying for the our Jewish uh friends and how much are we actually praying for them and understanding that God has not given up on them but he has uh, brought in not only Israel but he is still in the midst of bringing his salvation to them. But how much more is it more powerful that we should also hope in God through Jesus Christ? If our hope in Christ is now sure because of what God has done in the death and burial burial and resurrection of Jesus, how much more should we be praying for this? That God would one day, that he would save all the nations of the world. And I think um, as I was kind of thinking through this, we just see the, the, the progression of the psalmist going from the depths of his sin to the waiting upon the Lord to the very heights of just this confidence and this faithfulness and the faithfulness of God. And I think how much more should our hope and our deep, deep hope Come and be trusting in the person of Jesus, who came to bring hope to the hopeless, who came to bring light to the darkness, and the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. How much more do we need to say that not only we wait upon Jesus, but today that also Christ waits for us? We live in a world in which there is not a good theology of waiting. We hate waiting for everything. Standing in line, standing in tra- or sitting in traffic. Uh, but to ultimately understand that Christ waits for us. Did you know that and remember that when this first sin came in the garden, that there was a Savior who waited after the first sin in the garden by our, our first forefathers, Adam and Eve, and who prophesied that the descendant of evil bruised the Satan's head, but Satan will nick his heel. And even our theology of Advent is marked in waiting. And as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, that Jesus himself waited to fulfill all the prophecies that were given about him, that these prophecies were in a theology of waiting, that God had waited to give these prophecies so that Christ can fulfill them. Listen to Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and inflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus waited to, uh, for those prophecies to be given so that he can come at exactly the right time in redemptive history. And Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, he waited under the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And Jesus, when he was here on the earth, he waited If you remember the story of Lazarus, And, you know, Lazarus was about to die, and and his sisters called out for Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, come. You can save my brother. But he was in a bad spot, and Jesus somehow just waited, and he died. And his sisters asked him, why didn't you come earlier? Why did you have to wait? And he said that the glory of God, so the glory of God could be displayed in that, so that when he came, he could bring resurrection to Lazarus and to see the power of the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. Christ, He and and Lazarus experienced and his sisters experienced a waiting room that even though his brother had died, that they saw the resurrection power of Jesus. Jesus waits patiently for all of us to come to him, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and he promises us rest. John 14 and 15, Jesus has prepared a place for us. He is waiting for us to be able to to come be with him and, and to be in fellowship with him. In Revelation 21 and 22, Jesus is waiting to bring back his bride. And Jesus is still waiting for us. And there's that expectation of a glorious hope that one day, Jesus, who is waiting for us, that one day we'll be ushered into his presence, that one day our waiting will be done and will come into the presence of the living God. Let's listen to Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river, of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord of God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Um, When I was up in the retreat, um, we just got this beautiful scene of a waterfall And there was the the water coming off the waterfall, the actual waterfall, and it was was coming out. And it was coming into uh, a fast-moving part of the stream. And then it would meet the bigger river. Um, uh, And then eventually the current would go slowly. But it was just absolutely beautiful. And just to see the glint and just to be able to rest and just to see God's beauty in creation, just to see the trees, see the earth, see... uh, The water and the the sound of the rushing waters and the stream. Um, Grant texted me at that time, Revelation 22, one through five. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is why I love just being next to a river and streams, just looking at the trees, because it's a picture, it's a foretaste of where we will be in heaven and where we'll be. And I think um, I was just really reminded that Jesus is still waiting for us. Um, he has hope for us. He has hope for Hope Church. And, like, as I was looking at the waterfall, the waterfall was just kind of, I uh, just had this sense of, like, it just, it just reminded me of the ever-flowing, steadfast love of God and how as every day, without fail, that stream would fall over like a waterfall, and there would be just no end. And as the water fell off, it would be fast moving through the stream, and then it would eventually uh, uh, match up with the river. And just had the sense of like, um, just a a word for hope in that God, you know, we're in a waiting room of sorts. We're kind of looking and waiting for a lot of things, um, waiting on just new pasture, new building, You know, just new people, we're just waiting on a lot of things, and yet um, God is still working. He's still working, and he is working. We don't want to miss out on what God is doing right now. And we're in a waiting room of sorts. There's been a lot of different changes, and I just want to affirm that these changes is really to make us to go back to where our roots are, to the the pillars of what made Hope Church. Um, And I firmly believe that. But I think we're in a waiting room of sorts and God is just reminding us that as we're in this waiting room, as we're seeing a lot of rapids and changes and different things, eventually I was able to just follow a part of the river until it slowed down and then just came a part of the current. And I just feel like that's kind of like the kingdom of God. And Pope Church is just one sliver of the kingdom of God, as we like to say. And he is waiting to, um, to use this church for the kingdom of God and using our time right now to do something incredible and something amazing. And we don't want to miss out on that. We don't want to miss out on the waiting room between repentance and redemption. But ask God, train us, God. So as the worship team, as uh, Michael comes up and as we come um, to prayer and I want to invite the prayer team to come up as well, Um, They'll be at the four corners of the room. Just really want us to think through um, and just spend some time as we heard God's word that we would experience God's word. And let's spend some time in prayer now. And let's spend some time asking and dialoguing with the Lord. What is your waiting room right now? Where is the Lord Repentance and redemption, or He is calling you to. Where are the areas in which you do not want to be in and you're asking, God, just get me out of this, but yet God wants to do a deeper work in your heart? Mm-hmm. Deeper work of repentance. work of just coming to him and confessing sin and knowing that God is not an angry, vindictive God, that's not his heart though he is holy and he is to be feared with God there is forgiveness where are the areas in which God wants to Call you forward. Respond in brokenness and forgiveness and repentance. Mm-hmm. Will you surrender to him anything he wants to do in that waiting room that you're in? Even if you're fearful or anxious or worried about the hardness or the difficulty or shame or guilt, will you just be able to say, Lord, I know you want to do something in me right here, right now. In this waiting room, you want me to wait on you. And if there's ever, ever anything that you've been um, giving up faith or. Just responding in fear. You just surrender that to the Lord and say, God, I want to respond in in faithfulness because of your word. In your word, I hope. So God, help me to fight and actively fight in this struggle. just meditate on the fact that Christ he waits for you he's eager to be with you he's eager to meet you in this moment he's eager to flood you with his love and his grace his forgiveness But his heart for you is good his heart for you is lowly and gentle wants you. He loves you. He has given his up, his very son, so that you might have life and life abundantly. That you might have him and that you also may experience the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you. God, we worship you and praise you. And ask, Lord, that we would just simply Wait upon you because, Lord, you waited upon us and you are waiting with eager expectation to do something in us and also in Hope Church for your glory and for your kingdom and for your power so that, Lord, not only the people around us, our neighbors, but our city and the nations who are in darkness would know Jesus Christ. And say with the psalmist that with you, there is forgiveness you are feared that you would redeem us from all of our iniquities you would save us from our shame and guilt and you have saved us for worship in Jesus name Amen let's continue to